From the mind of a maniac. Eight horror stories that are interconnected either significantly or slightly and are all bundled into one gigantic collection. That's right, you get eight books for the price of one. Maniac on the Loose, The Nine Lives of Ski Mask, The Craving, The Caretakers, It Lives in the Attic, Goat Sucker, Spirit Stalkers, Hell is Full. All eight books for the price of one. Go to Amazon and search for From the Mind of a Maniac or go to maniacontheloose.com slash books. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood Maniac on the Loose. Visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for our newsletter and I'll give you some free stuff. And now, sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. Trick or Treat Morris Ratner's house was always the most popular home in the neighborhood for trick-or-treaters on Halloween night. Morris was a tall, elderly gentleman who took advantage of his lanky frame by dressing as a skeleton every Halloween. His house was always elaborately decorated for the witching season. A variety of masked mannequins and plastic tombstones decorated his lawn. Several mammoth, hairy, fake spiders were placed on the roof, giving the impression that they were escaping from out of the chimney. A smoke machine created a layer of fog over his porch that trick-or-treaters would have to step through if they wanted their treat. And he always gave out the best candy by the handful. He likely went through thousands of dollars worth of candy each Halloween. Morris, who had been a widow for the past ten years, was an upstanding citizen and friendly neighbor. He was proud of his tidy, welcoming yard and worked on it endlessly. When he wasn't doing yard work, he spent most of his time sitting on his porch. He would wave to every passerby he saw and he was happy to chat with anyone who would stop by. People say that over the past year, Morris began to grow distant. He stopped working on his yard and it became an eyesore. He no longer ventured onto his porch and became a recluse. Several concerned neighbors stopped by his house on occasion to check on him, but he would never answer the door. The neighborhood assumed he wouldn't be having his annual Halloween tradition this year, but they were wrong. 
His house was more decked out in ghoulish fare than ever before. But those who encountered Morris that night describe a chilling interaction with the old man. The following are the creepiest encounters trick-or-treaters had with Morris Ratner that fateful night. Cindy Casterly, age 15. Bobby Casterly, age 12. My name is Cindy. I was dressed up like an angel and my little brother Bobby was dressed up like a devil. I think we were the first ones to stop by Mr. Ratner's house that night. The house was so spooky. There were spiders all over the roof and tombstones in the yard. And there was a thick layer of fog on the porch that hid the front door until you got close. We knocked on the door and Mr. Ratner answered. He was such a tall man. If he weren't such a jolly fellow, he'd be intimidating. He was dressed up like a skeleton as usual. But this year, his costume was a little different. He always wore a fabric skeleton jumpsuit with a tight black hood that covered his hair. And then he wore a plastic skeleton mask. It was the same outfit this year, but normally his costume was spick and span and sparkling white. This year his costume had more of a yellow tinge to it, as if the costume had discolored from age and not having been washed. The other difference in his costume this year was that he poured fake blood all over his head, so there were dried red streams staining the front of his mask. It was really creepy. My brother yelled out, Trick or treat, and Mr. Ratner bent down to get eye level with him and spoke to him. Mr. Ratner's voice was much deeper and creepier than I remember it being from previous years. So you're the devil. My brother nodded and Mr. Ratner held up a cigarette lighter. You must like fire then. He reached out and grabbed Bobby's wrist, flicked the lighter, and held the flame under Bobby's hand. Bobby screamed, jerked away from him, and ran off. I stood there for a moment. Mr. Ratner stayed in his crouched position and just stared at me. He didn't move, but the breath against the inside of his mask was growing more intense and loud. I slowly backed away. As I moved further from him, he gradually stood up and cocked his head to the side as he continued staring at me. Finally, I turned and hurried out of his yard. John Dillon, age 14. Eric Woods, age 13. Bill Smith, age 13. I'm John. I was with my buddies Eric and Bill. We were dressed as the Three Stooges. Morris answered the door in his freaky skeleton outfit. He was holding a gigantic bucket of candy. He held up the bucket for us to see. He then held up a razor blade. We'll play paper scissors rock. If you win, you get a handful of candy. If I win, I'll shove this razor blade into your eye. I would have laughed, but he didn't sound like he was joking. Who will represent your group? 
Eric and Bill both turned to me, so I shrugged and stepped forward. He bent down a little and stared into my eyes as we both held out our hands. His eyes seemed like glass. There was no movement from them, not even a twitch. One, two, three. We both showed our hands. He held out rock. I held out paper. <laughs> You're a very lucky little boy. He held out the bucket and we all took a handful of candy. I was left with the feeling that had I lost, he really would have stuck that razor in my eye. Stella Braxton, age 16. Gina Braxton, age 8. I'm Stella Braxton. I always hated trick-or-treating. Actually, I always hated Halloween in general. I wasn't dressed up. I was only out because I had to take my bratty little sister trick-or-treating. She was dressed up as a ballerina and was very excited to go to Morris Ratner's house. We stepped through the wall of fog which made me gag. I was about to knock on the door when I noticed that Morris was sitting in a chair on his porch. He was watching us. Gina was all excited when she saw him and ran to him yelling, Trick or treat! He wrapped his arms around Gina in a hug, which I thought seemed inappropriate. He then whispered to Gina loud enough where I could hear him. Before I give you a treat, I want to give you a little kiss on the cheek. Gina giggled and held her cheek out. Had he not been wearing a mask, I might have objected, but I assumed he was just going to press the front of his mask against her cheek and make a smooching sound. Instead, I saw his old, leathery tongue slide through the opening of the plastic skeleton mask, and he licked the side of Gina's face. Gina screamed and recoiled from him. I grabbed her and pulled her to safety as I cursed the old pervert. Then we got out of there. Carter Swift, age 37. Valerie Swift, age 7. My name is Carter Swift. I was taking my daughter Valerie trick-or-treating. She was dressed as the cutest little kitten you'd ever seen. As we approached his door, he startled me when he said, What's new, pussycat? Obviously referencing my daughter's costume. He was standing on the other end of the porch concealed by the fog. As he stepped forward, he lashed out with his hands, emulating a striking cat while making cougar sounds. Valerie was frightened and hid behind my legs. I expected Morris to back off and say something sweet to Valerie to lighten the mood and chase her fear away. That's the kind of guy Morris was. He was a sweet old man. He never meant anyone any harm. At least that's what I thought. He didn't try to calm Valerie's fear. Instead, he doubled down and flicked open a large pocket knife. Let's see if there really is more than one way to skin a cat. Valerie screamed and ran. Jeez, Morris, what the hell was that? Morris pointed the knife at me. Morris isn't here. I'm the skeleton man. You know, you're really sick, Morris. He approached me while brandishing the knife. 
Call me Morris again and I'll shove this up your ass. I had known Morris for years. I had never seen him like this. This was not the man I knew. Melissa Ryan, age 16. Rhonda Baxter, age 17. I'm Melissa. I was dressed up like Wonder Woman. My friend Rhonda was Batgirl. We always saved Mr. Ratner's house for last because it was the best. We knocked on the door and when he answered, he just stood there and stared at us. We both laughed at his attempt to be creepy. It wasn't working. We both knew him well. He was just too nice to come across as creepy. Then I noticed that he was looking me up and down. Like, sexually. I was in shock. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Then he spoke. If you want a treat, you have to do a trick. I was still in a little bit of a daze. Maybe this was all part of a weird joke he was playing. Perhaps any moment he'd break out in that famous chuckle of his and give us a friendly hug. So I played along. What kind of trick should I do? He cocked his head and looked down at me. Show me what you've got under that skirt. Our jaws dropped. We turned and walked away. I knew Mr. Ratner since I was a little girl in grade school. He was the sweetest man I had ever known. There's no way that was him. I'll always be haunted by that night. Mark Briggs, age 17. Marty Burns, age 15. I'm Mark. It was me and my friend Marty who were the last ones at Morris Ratner's house that night. It was quite late. Most of the other houses had shut down for the night. But Morris Ratner's porch light was still on and his fog machine was still spewing out mist. We knocked on the door. He answered, holding a huge bucket of candy in his arms. He immediately sat it down on the porch in front of us. I'll give you this entire bucket of candy if you can reach in before I stop you. My friend Marty didn't hesitate. He stooped over and reached into the bucket. As he did this, Morris Ratner pulled a hatchet out from behind his back. He raised it high into the air and before I could yell out, he buried the hatchet into Marty's head. Marty toppled over onto the porch as blood sprayed from his skull. The last thing I saw were his legs twitching. I ran away and called the cops. November 1st. It was after midnight when the police arrived and kicked the door in. They found Morris Ratner dead in his bathtub. He had slit his wrists. What caused such a well-respected, kindly old man to have such a drastic change in character? Many people think Morris Ratner was suffering from dementia. Some claim that he must have had a stroke that altered his personality. Others suspect that someone murdered Morris Ratner, and it was the killer who was dressed as the skeleton man that Halloween night. 
but nobody knows for sure. Creepy phone calls, phone sex. I'm a 41-year-old female, and I'm a phone sex operator. I've had this job for a long time. I like it fine. The work is easy. I get a lot of freedom. I make people feel good, and it pays the bills. My clientele range from very young to very old, and most are just guys looking to get off fast. Nothing out of the ordinary. Sometimes I get men who are more interested in talking than sexual pleasure. Occasionally I feel more like a psychologist than a phone sex operator. And some callers are just plain weird. One man enjoyed when I read poetry while he pleasured himself. Not pornographic poetry. I'm talking about Frost, Whitman, Wilde, that kind of thing. One client wanted me to start singing when he climaxed. And one guy used to ask me to bark like a dog. But let me tell you about the strangest, creepiest encounter I ever had as a phone sex operator. I got a call from a man who was a heavy breather. He had the phone pressed right up against his mouth. He told me that he had his girlfriend all tied up and wanted me to tell him what to do to her. I assumed there was no girl there. This was likely just a fantasy that he wanted to play out, so I did my job. I came up with a variety of sex acts for him to perform on her. As I told him these things, I could hear him moaning and groaning, pretending as though he was actually doing them. As the call went on, I started hearing metallic clanging sounds. I asked the man what that was, and he told me that he had a girl handcuffed to the bedpost. As he was talking, I could hear muffled sounds in the background as if someone were trying to talk. Apparently, he really did have a girl with him. I asked him what the muffled sound was. He confirmed it was the girl and went on to explain that he had her mouth taped shut. I told him to make sure she could breathe okay. His response was, Screw her. I told him that if he wanted to continue with this session, he was going to have to treat his girlfriend right. He paused for a moment and then said, I have a confession to make. This isn't my girlfriend. It's just some slut I grabbed from the street. I was hoping this was all just fantasy stuff, but I was concerned that there may be some truth to what he was saying, which would make this a kidnapping situation. I asked if I could speak to her. No, but you can listen to the sound she makes as I stab her in the stomach. I screamed for him not to do that, but I could hear sickening splat sounds while the muffled sounds from the woman grew intense. I started yelling at the man to stop and to tell me this wasn't really happening. Oh, it's happening. Which one of her hands should I cut off first? At this point, I was freaking out and told him that I was calling the police. Go ahead. 
They won't get here fast enough. Suddenly I heard a loud shriek from the woman. Either she got the tape off of her mouth, or the man took it off. Her voice was frantic, and she was totally wigging out. Help me! This is real! He's really killing me! Help me! At that point, the phone went dead. I was shaking when I called my supervisor to tell her what happened. The phone company had records of the call, and the man paid via credit card, so there was a way to trace this, and the police did just that. The credit card and cell phone both traced back to the same person, a man by the name of Edward Ashley. The police went to his place of residence and found the front door to his house ajar. Inside the house, they found the dead body of Edward Ashley. He had been stabbed to death, and his credit card and cell phone were missing. Later, the credit card and cell phone were located in a random trash can. They never caught the man who called me that night. And to my knowledge, they never found any evidence of the woman I heard screaming. Creepy phone calls. Prank call. My name is Paul. I was 13 back in 1983 when my friend Tony and I were prank call masters. Those were the good old days when there wasn't any caller ID or star 69. Back then, calls were truly anonymous unless you had the call traced. And even then, you had to have the cops do it. It was the Wild West as far as prank calls went. We did all the classics. Is Wall there? Then who's holding up your ceiling? Or is your refrigerator running? Well, then you'd better go catch it. And of course, we would call stores and ask if they would page Mike Hunt. Those were all fun for a while, but they got old, so we invented a new one. We'd call people up and say, I saw what you did. Then we'd sit back and listen to them as they freaked out. The prank got taken to another level when we called a random number and a man with a smooth voice answered and we hit him with the line, I saw what you did. He was quiet for a good 30 seconds, then he finally spoke up. What do you want? I didn't know what to say. I looked over at Tony, who was on the extension listening in. He gave me a hand signal encouraging me to go with it, so I did. I want money. How much? I looked at Tony, who shrugged, so I just blurted something out. Uh, 500 bucks. Where should we do the exchange? Tony came running to me with a pen and paper in hand. He quickly jotted down Broadway and 10th Street, 3.15 p.m. I understood. School got out at 3 p.m. Our bus passed by the corner of Broadway and 10th at approximately 3.15. If this guy actually showed, we would catch a glimpse of him standing there waiting to pay somebody off. I thought it would be hilarious, so I gave him the location and time and hung up. The next day we were antsy all through the school day as we wondered if the mysterious man would actually show. Finally school let out and we raced to the bus to make sure we got a good window seat. The bus was on schedule and at 3.15 stopped at the red light at Broadway and 10th. 
he was there. He was an average-sized bald man wearing black sunglasses and a black trench coat. He was driving a big black Buick. As we gawked at him, I realized there was something quite intimidating about the man. His face was twisted into a scowl, and he was moving his hand around in his front coat pocket like something was in there. A gun? Perhaps a knife? I had a feeling that if someone actually came up to collect money from this guy, it wasn't going to end well for them. As the light turned green and the bus started moving away from the intersection, I guess we were pressed up against the window of the bus pretty good because he turned his head and looked at us. I guess something in our expression gave us away. He lifted up his glasses and took a long stare at us. He knew. I about pissed myself and was just thankful that the light had turned green and the bus was driving away. I was relieved when the bus stopped in front of my house and let me out. I walked to the front door and opened it. As I was shutting the front door, I noticed a big black Buick stopped outside my house. It was the guy. This crazy bastard had followed the bus to my house. I shut the door, locked it, and ran to the front window. I peeked out. The intimidating bald man got out of his car walked up to my front door and knocked. I made myself as small as I could and held my breath, trying not to make a sound. He knocked again and again. After a few minutes of silence, I peeked back out the window. The man was standing out on the sidewalk looking at the house. He then inspected the side of our mailbox and jotted down some information on a notepad. Then he left. That night, the phone rang. I assumed it was Tony wanting to talk about what happened, but it wasn't Tony. It was the bald man. Do you know who this is? My heart was pounding out of my chest. He had jotted down my last name and address and got my number from the phone book or 411. My voice trembled as I spoke. <laughs> yes. His voice was smooth and deliberate. He wasn't trying to scare me. He was just telling me the facts. I know who you are. I know where you live. If you ever tell anyone anything, I'll kill you. With that, he hung up, and I never made another prank phone call again. The Photo Bomber I'm 45 years old and I live in Chicago. My wife and I had just returned from a two-week vacation in the Bahamas. My vacation was fantastic and extremely needed. I hated being back in the city. We had snapped countless pictures over the span of the vacation. As my wife unpacked, I started downloading the pictures from our phone to my computer. It was late and we both had to go back to work early the next morning, so I just browsed through a few of the pictures. The pictures I scanned were of us on the beach. 
They turned out great capturing the white sand beaches, swaying coconut palms, and that majestic clear blue ocean. I stopped and looked closer at one of the pictures of my wife and I on the beach. It was a rare wide shot of both of us that we had someone take for us. It was perfect. We looked great. The image captured the beach and the ocean all in their glory. However, the photo was tarnished by a photobomber in the background. It was a stunning woman with long bleached blonde hair and striking light green eyes. She was in a dark green bikini showing off a model-esque figure. As attractive as I found her to be, she ruined this hallmark picture of my wife and I. The woman was about five feet behind my wife's shoulder facing front toward the camera. At first I suspected that the woman probably didn't photobomb our picture intentionally, but upon further inspection, she was staring directly into the camera. She had her hand on her hip and held a mischievous grin on her face. I guess I let out an audible sigh of disappointment because my wife came over and asked me what was wrong. I pointed out what a perfect picture this would have been had this woman not photobombed it. My wife shrugged and brushed it off. I scanned through a few more pictures and paused at a nice picture of my wife sitting at a bar. The medley of bottles in the background added a festive splash of color to the photo. I squinted to make sure I wasn't seeing things when I noticed what appeared to be that same woman from the beach photo. She was sitting at a table behind the bar. She was in the distance, but I couldn't mistake those eyes. And once again, she was staring directly into the camera. I assumed it was someone who was staying at the same hotel as us, thus frequenting some of the same areas, so I didn't think much of it and powered down the computer. The next day, I took the train to work. I walked out of the train station and down a crowded sidewalk toward my office building. As I approached my building, I noticed a bleached blonde woman wearing a long black bomber jacket. Her head was down, but she lifted it up just as she was passing me, and our eyes met. I froze. I recognized those striking green eyes and that mischievous smirk. It was the photobomber from our vacation pictures. I was sure it was her. I turned and watched her as she meandered down the block and turned into a storefront. I hurried after her and entered the store. There were several people milling about inside the sizable store and I didn't spot her. As I walked back to my office building, I kept asking myself over and over, was that really her? I work for an advertising agency and my first day back at work was a busy one, so I quickly forgot about the mysterious blonde woman until later in the day. I got up to get a cup of coffee. The coffee machine is near the main corridor of my floor. At the far end of the corridor, I saw her again. The bleached blonde. She was standing in front of the elevator. She was wearing a red dress. I called out to her, but she didn't hear me or she ignored me. When the elevator doors opened, she entered. Just before she stepped out of my sight, 
She turned her head. Her green eyes locked onto me and she grinned. I rushed down the corridor, but the elevator doors closed before I could reach it. I understand that it is plausible that the woman stayed in the same area as us in the Bahamas, and that's why she was in multiple pictures. I could even grasp that she happens to live in Chicago. It's a huge city. And it's possible, though highly unlikely, that I would pass by her on the street. But it was near impossible that she would be in my building on my floor. Something wasn't right. That night, some of the guys from work took me out for drinks. I told them about the shadowy, green-eyed woman. They didn't take me seriously and just joked about it. Then I saw her again. She was standing in the bar by the entrance. The second I spotted her, she exited. I rushed out of the bar onto the street, but there was no sign of her. Who was this woman, and why was she following me? I had a few more drinks, took a cab home, and collapsed onto the bed. The next morning, when I got up, I decided to take a closer look at the vacation photos. My wife was running around like a chicken with its head cut off as I scanned through the pictures. I looked at some of the pictures I took of my wife swimming in the ocean while I was on the shore. The zoom feature on the phone worked better than I expected. That's when something caught my eye. I zoomed in on a photo. In the background of the picture of my wife swimming was the green-eyed blonde. She was swimming with a group of other people, but it was her. The next photo was a picture of my wife sunbathing in a beach chair. A few chairs over from her was the blonde. She was reading a book while soaking up the sun. I moved to another day when we were at a restaurant that was further away from our hotel. There she was again. The green-eyed woman was sitting at a table in the distance. I checked the pictures we took while on a ferry boat. Again, the photobombing woman was there. She was leaning against the rail of the ferry looking out over the ocean, but there was no mistaking it was her. I scrolled through more pictures. That green-eyed blonde was in nearly every single picture. I called my wife over and started shuffling through the various pictures pointing out the odd woman. My wife was simultaneously balancing herself while putting on her shoes and trying to focus on the pictures I scrolled through. She didn't seem impressed. I think those are different people, but I have to run, the cab is waiting. She was wrong, of course, but I'd prove that to her when she was in more of a relaxed mood later that night. I walked her to our door and watched as she rushed into the waiting cab. As the cab started pulling away from the curb, the driver turned and looked at me. It was her, the photobomber. Her piercing green eyes were blinding and she winked at me as she drove off. I immediately tried to call my wife to let her know, but she wasn't answering her phone. I kept calling on my way to work, but she never picked up. When I walked onto my office floor, one of the secretaries rushed to me and told me that the cab my wife was in crashed and that my wife was in the hospital. That crazy blonde tried to kill my wife. That had to be what happened. 
I rushed to the hospital, darted through the hallways, and into my wife's room. Fortunately, my wife was okay. She had a concussion and a broken arm, but was going to be just fine. As I sat by my wife's bedside and rubbed her hand, I turned as the nurse entered the room. The bleached, blonde, green-eyed nurse? It was her! I stood in a protective stance between the photobomber and my wife. What is going on? Who are you? Why are you following me? What, what do you want? The photobomber had the nerve to hold a confused expression as if she didn't know what I was talking about. My wife questioned me as to why I was so upset. No, that's, that's her! It's the woman! She tried to kill you by crashing the cab, but, but it didn't work, so she's posing as a nurse now! She came here to kill you! I pointed to the nurse. Look at her! It's that bleached blonde who photobombed our vacation pictures! My wife shook her head and said, That's my nurse! And her hair is black! Uh, what? What are you talking about? It, it, it's the bleach blonde with the crazy green eyes. The nurse spoke up and said, My eyes are brown. I screamed at her. They're green. They're green. My wife was becoming hysterical as she pleaded with me to calm down. The photobomber must have drugged her. My wife had to be hallucinating. I pulled a passing doctor into the room and asked him to tell me what color the nurse's hair was black he said N no 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 it's blonde it is blonde she has blonde hair the nurse started backing away from me and telling me to calm down and that i was frightening her apparently someone called security as two guards entered the room i immediately asked them what color the nurse's hair was they both insisted it was black i asked them about her bright green eyes they said they were brown what was going on? Why couldn't anyone else see that this witch, posing as a nurse, was blonde with green eyes? Then it dawned on me. That's it. She is a witch. I looked at her and called her out on it. You're a witch. I swear she smirked at me. I couldn't take it anymore. I rushed her and wrapped my hands around her throat. I had to squeeze the life from this witch before she killed my wife, before she killed me, before she ruined our lives. She was coughing and gagging as I choked her. I could even see that her flesh was beginning to turn a pale shade of blue. Her insane green eyes were becoming bloodshot. Just a few more minutes and she'd be out of our lives forever. The guards pulled me off before I could finish the task. The photobombing witch lives. I spend most of my time now in a padded room wearing a straitjacket. Occasionally the door opens and the bleached blonde green-eyed witch enters. Sometimes she claims she's a nurse, sometimes a doctor. Sometimes a guard. Hell, sometimes she claims that she is my wife and is visiting me. But it's always her. Everywhere I turn, I see her. <laughs> Everyone thinks I'm crazy, but they're wrong. <laughs> they are the ones who are crazy. <laughs> Thank you.
We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen on. We'll see you soon. Very soon.